Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft, the show where we explore the reasons behind why we create and share the process in which we get there. I'm your host, John Tilton. From writers and painters to musicians and culinary artists, we explore a wide variety of disciplines. And this week, I'm joined by artist Elaine Tulsma Harlow. We discuss how an audience collaborates with the artist, getting out of your artistic comfort zone, her battle with cancer, and perspectives on teaching. Though her focus is in oil painting, Elaine has also produced works in mixed media and encaustics. You can view her art online at etharlow.com and in person at LaFonsi Galleries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can find more information in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Elaine. Thank you so much, John, for having me. It's great to have you on. I'm very excited, actually, to do this interview because you and I are family, and with family, there's always a thousand and one things that we're talking about at weddings and get-togethers and when we see each other again. And so sometimes, though, I feel like there's kind of a lack of getting really deep into different things that we work on. So like, I actually have a lot of questions that I've thought of over the years before, before this podcast was even a twinkle in my eye. I had a lot of different things that I thought, oh, I wonder why Elaine does things like this with her art, or I wonder what the story behind this is. And so I'm actually really excited to have an official reason to ask you all these questions that I've thought of for a few years now. Yeah, it's hard to get into the nitty gritty when there's 8 million other things to be talking about and people around. So this is fun. I'm excited to do this. What led you to painting as the art form that you wanted to pursue? I feel like in some ways it chose me because I've always, I've always done artwork. I don't ever remember a time in my life where I wasn't creating. I mean, from crayons to Play-Doh to uh, whatever. Um, but I was first introduced to oil paints you know, probably paint by number as, as like a 10 year old. And then I took some art classes and I started getting serious about it. And oil paint just has always resonated with me. I swear I have oil paint running through my veins. When I was in college, I took some 3d classes. Uh, my college professor actually asked me if I plan on pursuing this. And I said, no. And he goes, that's probably a good idea. So it's, you know, it's just always been two dimensional world for me. And so almost always painting, but drawing gets pulled in there quite often also. You said it was a professor that pointed this out to you that you should probably think about pursuing it more seriously? No, when I was younger, I took some art classes, uh, private art classes actually. And I just really fell in love with art and just everything about it. I was, I was, uh, grew up in a house that we visited, uh, the Milwaukee art museum. We lived right outside of Milwaukee and my parents brought me there and I, I was exposed to at a very young age, uh, artists like Georgia O'Keeffe, uh, Mark Rothko and, uh, people like that. Um, and I learned the art lingo quite early on. And then when I started becoming more serious in my teen years and knew this is the pursuit I wanted to have in life, um, it just all the world's kind of aligned, and I knew I wanted to do this in college. But in college, I discovered I didn't have the chops for three dimensionality, so it was just two dimensionality for me. I see. Okay, but there's actually a lot of 
almost like a three-dimensional aspect to your 2D art because there's like a lot of texture happening. Uh, sometimes. In some of my work, there is. Um, I've kind of branched out from doing just oil paints to doing something called encaustics. And encaustics is working with wax, working with uh, heated wax and pigment. And you kind of build up layers and you scrape them down. And that is very textural. Uh, but my oil paints, I, I tend to work very flat, very smooth uh, with my oil paints. So it's a kind of a interesting juxtaposition that has happened through the years of, of doing both, combining the little bit of encaustics and then the oil paints, this, this, those different textures. They, you know, each brings out a different side of me, I guess. And when you say combining the two, like doing two separate projects, one of one and one of the other, or taking these two styles and blending them into a single project? I'm starting to do a little bit of blending. Um, you have to be careful with encaustics, how you, how you do that, uh, because the, to keep that wax from, from sticking, from not peeling off. Um, but, you know, I kind of left just doing encaustics, which really uh, was the last few years. And then when the pandemic hit, I put away my heat stuff for the encaustics and I picked up my paintbrush again and I was strictly doing just oils again. Um, and I don't know why, it, it, you know, you can ask me why and it'll be, I don't know, it was a feeling, it was a, a comfort thing. I don't know. And so I went back to just oil paints and just recently I've been kind of exploring what does it look like to work with them combined. But encaustics, so I'm on your website now kind of reading a little bit about this. Yep. It says your process is laying down wax, melting, and then scraping it down repeatedly to inform a final piece. Is that, yes. that's the encaustics that it's talking that about? That really there. is. You take for, you take a, you can just use a pancake skillet and you can melt down wax mixed with resin um, that makes it harder. And then you put in, you infuse color into it. And then you can uh, lay it down with just a, when it heats up and melts, you lay it down onto a board and you hit a heater with it. Uh, you can just use a heat gun. You can use a flame if you want. Once it cools, you can scrape it down, but you can keep building up these layers. So you have different layers of color building and building and building, okay. and then you can scrape it down to reveal colors that you've had in the past. And it's, it becomes that tension and that what you're revealing to create the final piece. Yeah. And kind of you're hinting at, what this next paragraph talks about where it says this lack of control caused by using the hot wax and the heat guns pushes you beyond a certain precision. And within this chaos, there's kind of this beauty and order and structure that's revealed. Yes. Uh, you kind of started hinting at that. Can you talk about that more? Cause that's definitely an aspect that we try to cover here on the show is, is kind of like the reasons behind why we do things. It sounds like not only the result, but the process of getting there is something that was important to you when, when you're exploring that. Process is so important as an artist. It doesn't matter what art you're in. It's, it's the process of how you get from point A to point B. I teach also, I teach at a, a collegiate level. I'm an adjunct instructor at Calvin University. And, you know, I've talked to my students. We've talked a lot about intuitively versus intentional and how you achieve this final project? Are you product? Are you coming by it very intentionally, very systematically, like one, two, three step? Or are you working and as things arise, as problems arise, or you see something cool in your work, do you work intuitively towards it? And not quite sure what that final project product will look like, but trusting the process along the way. I tend to be a much more intentional worker. I see the final product I want in my mind's eye before I even start. Most artists don't work that way if you ask them, but 
I know what I want to achieve, and it's up to me to figure out how to get there. I have visions for work long before I work on them. I know what I want, and getting there is, is paramount for me. Within caustics, I had to let go of that because you weren't quite sure how the colors would melt and blend and scrape down to. I had an idea of what I wanted to achieve, but I had to let go of a lot of that control uh, that I had in, in past with just straight oil paint. And it became much more free form. And that letting go was terrifying at times. And so maybe that's why I'm back to oil paints as the you know shutdown started, because I was able to control things again. And in some ways, it's my happier spot because I maybe I am a control freak. Maybe I'm learning these things about myself. <laughs> But it's, it's how do I get to that final step? And with encaustics, I had to let that go. And with oil paint, I am much more in control. I know much more how to do this and how to get to that point. Yeah, so that's actually really interesting to me because I see a lot of how I approach things mirrored in that. I don't know, again, if that's because there's some some family DNA you know, at work <laughs> there. But like you mentioned, having that vision of what you want beforehand I have that, but I've been finding, I've been surprised in my writing that when I don't know, like when I get to a turn where I, I'm like, oh, wait, I didn't think about this. I find that something new comes out when I explore that and kind of letting the spur of the moment dictate how the story is affected. I found a lot of value in that. And I don't know if that's just part of the growing process. And at mm -hmm. some point when I have a little bit more establishment in my own writing. If maybe like you, I'll go back to something that I have a different comfort level with because now I've learned new skills from being out of my comfort zone. But mm -hmm. it's interesting that you mentioned how you approach a painting because I felt some similarity into how I, how I approach writing um, or how I like to approach writing, but then being challenged by kind of a different technique or, or, by, or just by the process of doing it. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of there's a lot of overlay between different um, arts, you know, and, and yeah, writing, theater, music, you know. I've been following your Instagram and seeing your new works of art. You've been working on these flowers. Uh, mm -hmm. If I get this wrong, it's not because you aren't drawing them accurately. It's because I don't know my flowers well, which my dad will be cer certainly upset about. <laughs> He'll be a little but disappointed it, in you. But, but I believe they're peonies. Is they this are. correct? Okay, they are. Yeah. So you've been drawing a lot of peonies lately, and they're absolutely beautiful. And you can see this over on your Instagram, which we'll have linked in the show notes. But one thing that that stood out to me, both about these current works and also in the past, you've done these bird's nests, which mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll ask you more about in the future. But I've noticed that you'll kind of revisit a similar idea, almost like you're working something out through iterations because you have multiple multiple takes on like a similar subject. I, I tend to stick closely to my subjects. Like over the course of my career, I really have had very few deviations. Um, I've done a lot of flower works. You, you've talked about the nests that those have been very important in my work. I had a series of um, butterflies and then um, the encaustics was, it was much more, it was abstract, which was also very different for me. So glad I did it though. Abstract is so much harder than people think it is. And then now I'm back to these realistic flowers. So it's kind of like coming full circle. And I just don't tire of the subject. For me, I, I like to stay close to what I know. And once again, I think it's a comfort thing, but there's so much 
you can get so much out of these. These, these, these flowers are not just flowers. They're symbols of so much more. I'm, I'm, you know, symbols of strength or whatever. But for me, I think these, I've been trying to understand why these flowers during the pandemic, you know, I just started creating them. It was a spontaneous thing. And they, you know, I, I don't know why, but I also turned 50 during uh, the last year. And so there's something about beauty, fading beauty, um, changing beauty that I think all started lining up for me. And so these flowers, I sometimes leave alone and the painting is just the peonies. And I, I use the peonies because there's lots of petals. I love the depth and the richness to them. They're not just a straightforward flower. There's all these folds and little undiscovered parts of the flower that I spend the time looking. I mean, I spend mind-blowing hours on this. It's it's stupid sometimes, I think. Why? <laughs> I have no patience for anything in my life, but you sit me in front of a painting and I can be still for hours upon hours on end. Uh, I have to actually remind myself to get up and stretch. Um, but I added these targets uh, over at some of them, and I've angered some people in doing that because I had this beautiful flower, and then I sh- I actually take sandpaper to my painting to scrape parts of it down. And then I add graphite over it and wax and I build a target over the flower. And you'll, you'll have to, it's so hard talking about a visual thing on a podcast in terms of now you can't see that, but go on my Instagram and you can see that. And it's, it showed it to the art history professor at Calvin. And he's like, so are you weaponizing beauty or are you um, making violence more beautiful. And he put me on my heels when he asked me that because I'm like, yes, that is it. Something about beauty and the target. We are targeting beauty. I finished this last one this week with Afghanistan. And the news story was that they closed the beauty shops in Kabul. And I thought those poor women, I mean, his beauty shop is a very minor thing what's going on with them, but they're making them retreat and retreat and hide and hide. And so their beauty has been targeted. And it just lined up so perfectly. And so there's something about this pandemic with masking and with, which I'm very pro-mask, that's so not, not the problem. This, this hiding, this retreat were, and turning 50 for me, which is a big deal. It's all kind of lined up with this. And this is where I'm at right now. You mentioned that the way you make the target is by taking sandpaper. Too. Yes. So again, that's almost like, what you were talking about with the other process, you know, more of like a, um, yeah. like adding another element that's almost making it into a, th- it's making the art like more three dimensional because yes. you're taking something away from it in the real world. And it's, it's not just a 2d thing anymore. I'm not just adding, I'm, I'm subtracting from the work too. I'm eliminating. And it is terrifying. This what looks like a final piece. My last two Instagram posts were, this looks like it's done, but wait, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to manipulate this image because I had to, it was not done for me. I had to change it and and add this target to it. So when I took that sandpaper, it it does affect me. It's not easy to take sandpaper to your painting and, and to change it, but I had to do it. And so there's something terrifying about that release about letting go, about altering what you may have. And I'm putting my fingers up, which you all can't see in quotations, perfect it. You know, I had perfected it and now I'm 
um, disassembling it. So from the viewer's perspective, so when I look at that, the way you implement the target is very, it's subtle and very beautiful, but mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely there. Oh yeah. And of course, for me as the viewer, it makes sense as the final thing. But, but yeah, when you were talking about the act of going through that, like you, especially I imagine the first time you did that, you're not 100% confident that it's going to turn out. Oh, never. Like, and like you said, it's never. It's you have that idea ahead of time. And here you have something that you're happy with. And you're going to go to this stage. It is part of that fear of doing it? Is that part of the art? Like, is that part of why you do it? Or is it, or is it, oh, I have to do this for another reason. And I'm, so I'm going to go through the pain of doing this to get to what I need to do. I think so. And I think that has a lot to do with what I'm saying with the concept about beauty. And, and beauty isn't always, you know, beauty changes and beauty is masked and beauty is hid and beauty fades and, and we can try to cling on to it, but it, it, it changes, it, it, you know, alters over a lifespan, over a flower span, um, over a cultural span. What is beauty? So the process is paramount. It's not just ending at that point and saying, okay, it looks good. It's beautiful. It's done. For me, it's saying, what's the next step then? How can I push this image even further to achieve what I want to achieve with it? It's hard. It's a hard question. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm always doing it right, by the way. <laughs> so also the individual who was, again, this was a Calvin professor. Yeah. Okay. So the Calvin professor who's asking you what it is, you know, like, what's your angle here? Yeah. Do you ever sit back and have kind of a finalized like, oh, that's what it meant? Or do you think that it's always kind of up to interpretation that changes over time? It is always up to people's interpretation. And I love when people tell me what they see, because often it's not what I see. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get that. Or, oh, I don't know where you're coming from. But I'm always open to hear what people's responses are. And, you know, I teach that with my students, too, is it's not just me doing the painting. It's the baggage that the, the audience, that the viewer brings. What are they bringing to the painting? And is that response, I asked this in my final critiques, is this what you, the viewer, how the viewer responds, how important is that to you? Yeah. You know, and so that all, well, and that comes from writing a book or composing a song, you know, how the viewer, how the reader responds, how the viewer responds, the listener responds, how important is that to you? That's an open-ended question. Well, we've been talking with different writers and different artists of all of all types, and a lot of times collaboration comes up. Uh, the idea of collaboration, and I don't know if you feel like this too, as a as a painter who's again working hours on end on your own in my little studio with nobody around me. <laughs> yeah, so I can relate to that part of it as a writer, and you know, there's collaborative parts of the process with like an editor or. Uh, a cover designer, illustrator, things like this. But it struck me that another big collaborator is uh, really the ultimate collaborator in the end is the person experiencing yeah. the work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've had students ask me, you know, can't, can't I just paint um, and make something beautiful? And I, my answer is, of course, you can paint for paint's sake. My goodness, yes. But for me personally, and this is just me speaking by myself personally here, my work has to mean something. And, and I don't know why it just does. It has to have some utterly other meaning besides just a pretty picture. It needs to, um, it, and that can be what other people are bringing in. But I cannot. I just don't paint for paint's sake. I paint for a purpose. You know, I pray that my purpose, you know, helps other people. Sometimes it needs to be. 
uh, resonate with other people, um, a co-creator with God, however you want to look at it. I just, I, it cannot just simply be for myself to just paint a pretty picture. Yeah, I really agree with that thought process for a, the approach to making art because, in, I mean, frankly, it's yeah. a huge reason why I started this podcast in the first place was because I was so interested in why I was writing mm -hmm. and thinking about why I was writing. And then I got talking with other people about why they wrote or why they did certain things. And everyone had just a different perspective, but there was there was also a lot that was kind of in sync between people as well. So I thought, well, I really want to know more about why people come to the craft table, you know, whether it be a typewriter or an easel and why they actually spend all of these hours because, you know, it's not something that you snap your fingers and it's done. Oh, no. <laughs> and I think about that with writing too. Like, like at the end of the day, I'm not going to spend hundreds and countless hours yep. writing a book if I don't have significant meaning behind like like that's almost what pulls me through going through the whole process because otherwise it's so it's too much work to be anything else to to be something that that doesn't have any extra meaning behind it, it it's almost like it's well why would i spend all that time well it restores me and it restores my humanity i think for me personally i'm a lousy human being without my art um, i am i have to paint it's, 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 it's linked to me as breathing. I have to paint. I have to create. I'm not the same person without it. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Not about not about you, but about, about <laughs> oh, me. Oh, no, my family has where... noticed it, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, my wife has noticed it about me where uh, if I'm not writing, like something, it just sets everything off too, like where, where I'm out of balance and it, it's, it really helps me reflect and have a better understanding about myself and the world around me. Absolutely. And so when I find that, oh, I went on vacation, I got out of routine. Oh, this happened. So now I'm out of routine. Well, I better get back in that routine quickly or else I'm not going to be a fun person to be around. Oh, no, uh, simply not. Yeah, I understand that sentiment. And I think most creators do understand that. They just, they lose a little bit of themselves if they can't, you know, even if it's an hour a week or an hour, you know, just have that little bit of creativity output. Now you start, so you started when you were younger. Oh, yes. Because for me, I wonder if it's like that because I started doing it. Like if it became this thing that I need to do because I've tasted how it helps me understand myself and it's, it made me a deeper thinker in general, or if it's something that I was drawn to because I needed to start writing to process what I was going through. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, yep. like, I, I wonder what comes first, if it's, if it's the need to do it, or if it's the, wow, doing this uh, makes me want to keep doing it more because I'm getting something out of it. And now it's, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's almost someone who has an addiction who, once you take that away, it starts to harm them, you know? I, I've never known anything but creating in my life. Like, seriously, I, I don't know what my life would look like now, what's now to do a little switcheroo on you to is somewhat sly topics. There was a period of time in my life I did not create, and that was um, which which is linked to me as the artwork is when I was twenty nine. I was uh, diagnosed with leukemia and needed a bone marrow transplant to survive. And the subsequent transplant, the the, the chemotherapy, the regimen to go through the transplant, the transplant, and then 
10 years of not great health after that and little kids in the house. I, I had a period of eight years where I really didn't create. And I look back at that. I was on a lot of medication at the time too. It was, it was a very rough time in my life. I, I had lost a lot of my, and this is a lot to do with medication. I'm not saying it's just with the artwork, but I lost a lot of my joy in life. I was happy. Things were good. My life was good. Um, but joy was not there. And I think you take away the creative part. I was on these medications. It just robbed me a lot of, of that. And slowly I brought it back. And the story goes, I had this, I have a great gallery that re represents me, LaFonsi Galleries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And they had just taken me on. I think I was there for maybe a year when I was diagnosed. And I, I came to them and I said, I don't know how long I will be unable to create. And in my mind, I thought it'd be a year. And they said, we are here when you are ready to come back to us. And um, it took eight years to do work that was good enough to be back in the gallery. And they took me back with open arms. But I'll never forget that I came with a very small painting. It was an empty bowl. And I brought it to them. And I had brought some other work to them before. And they're like, yeah, not quite there yet, Elaine. Not quite there yet. And it was eight years uh, after the transplant. And she looked at the painting. Um, and she said, yep, you're back. And it was the best feeling in the world. And so there was an eight-year gap I didn't paint in my life. Uh, nine years probably total with um, what happened before. Um, you know, it was storing up a lot. I can see it now that I'm well past uh, this that time frame, and knowing that what was garnered in there and gathered in there is still informing my artwork to this moment. That the the idea of flowers and targets and things like that is all goes back to that time in my life. The empty bowl was the first one that they accepted, or the first one that you brought to show them that it was I had brought some other small things to them and they were just not really of good quality they were right not taking it back but I did this empty bowl and and it's very it was very bleak honestly and uh, I brought it back and it was and it was good though and they looked at it and they said yep you're back we'll take this and so I think it was my third attempt at coming back but it took eight years really truly for me to be painting at a at a good level again and was that was that very conscious the the empty bowl because that's no. very symbolic about what you've been talking <laughs> about as well. Right? No, no, I it was it just I just painted. I just painted, and I think sometimes the symbolism follows. I go with it in my soul and in my mind's eye, and then sometimes I lay that out first. Then I look back and go, "Oh yeah, that's come on. That's that's exactly what that means." <laughs> <laughs> so you were during that time though doing some sort of art. Oh, I was trying. I was failing, but I was trying. It was not, and it was not very often um, that I felt like it. And then it was really, really very, very poor quality. <laughs> and my guess is just because, again, that the energy level just to produce that is was un, un, unobtainable. I was creatively dry. I was so dry. The fact that you were pursuing it, I think, means a lot too. Like you didn't cast it aside and say, oh, when I'm 100% better is when I will try again. It's once again, it's linked to me. I can't, I can't breathe without, you know, creating. So it would be small things, but energy was paramount. I was, I was real sick for a long time. So I didn't have the energy to even do anything. Yeah. Well, we're definitely glad that, that you're better now. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything I've done since then, everything I've done since then is, is, is linked to that somehow. Maybe not the encaustics as much, 
Um, but the nests for sure were um, everything, you know, just kind of goes along with that too, with that time in my life, that eight years of just unhealthiness. So the empty bowl, did, is that connected then to when you were creating these, often the nests were empty, but sometimes yes. they did have eggs in them. Well, I lost my fertility when I uh, went through the bone marrow transplant. And so the, the empty nest links very closely to that. And I also had to go away from home for my transplant. I was gone for four months and I've never been one to be homesick, never, ever in my life until that point. And um, my husband and my daughter were with me, but I was so homesick. And and so the nest is about longing and about, you know, of course, the fertility issue and, and things like that. It was just this just, you know, starting over, rebuilding, going home, all that kind of linked up to these these nests that I did for a long time. And I'm not telling you right now that those nests are over with either. I wouldn't be surprised in five, 10 years I'm painting nests again. It, it all, I think I'm in a shuffle between five subjects for my whole entire lifespan. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Like I see, I see again in my writing, I'll see themes that pop up and, and not, I won't always see it when I start out, but I'll see it when I'm finishing up on something and then picking it apart and thinking, oh, wait a second that's connected to the other book, even though they're completely unrelated. Yep. And then on top of that, uh, like how you were talking about your, your current art with current events, but almost as like, clearly you created the art before the current event happened, but then they were somehow connected. Yes. I've seen that as well happen in my writing where, and again, I, I don't know if it's something where it's, I'm interpreting the current event through what I wrote, or if it's, again, this weird kind of like spiritual connection to it, but it, but it has been fascinating to me how, how linked up things can be with, with art and with the broader world. I, I, I agree. It just, it, it just kind of falls in, you know, it's being, it's like you said, it's, it's commenting on, on, on what's happening in the world. It's how I process things. You're definitely very introspective about your art. And again, I think it stems from the fact that you, you go into it seeking to get some sort of meaning out of it. Mm -hmm. um, as you're actually in front of it, do you use an easel or yes. how is, what's your, yep. okay. So as you're in front of the canvas and easel, do you try to be conscious about those things during that? Or do you almost try to wipe your mind from, like, do you try to go into it kind of with a clean slate? I, you know, every day is an, I, I work I cannot work, you know, the, the idea of the artist working, you know, flim flam whenever inspiration hits and sits in front of it, it just doesn't go with me because I, some days I'd be waiting forever, you know, I wouldn't work for weeks. But so for me, it's, it's, it's a job. I get up and I do it for so and so many hours when I'm teaching during the school year, it's less in the summers. This summer, I've been rolling out of bed and I roll in front of the easel and I work all day and sometimes well into the night. Um, so I treat it as a job. And so because of that, I do start each day um, not going, this is this is the meaning I'm going to bestow upon yeah. this one. Um, you know, sometimes I try to say a prayer before I start. Sometimes I don't. Um, and then I just, but I just, I just work. I just paint. I just create. And that's my favorite part. And of course, there's more to just than sitting down in the easel painting. There's plotting, there's planning, there's pre-drawings. There's answering emails. There's, you know, I'm really bad at trying to promote myself because I hate it. 
but it's trying to sell promotion. It's trying to sell the work, you know, whatever. And so there's a lot of other things that have to go on. So when I can sit down, which sometimes can be a long time during the day, sometimes it's only a few hours, you know, I just try to put myself in there. And I, I just don't think I just paint. Do you get into things right away? Or is there almost like a, do you almost need a couple of minutes or a couple of hours before you really get into that groove of, of creation? I, pay, I I can just go right away, usually. Sometimes a good cup of coffee helps. <laughs> um, some good music, a good podcast. Uh, but, you know, I just I just go for it. And, and I'm, I've done this for so long now. It's, it's not, you know, and I, I don't do some, it, it, I don't have to sit there and ponder. I do yeah. take a lot of time with my artwork. I'll paint and then I step back. And sometimes that stepping back can be a half hour of just staring at the painting and mm. turning it around, turning it upside down, turning it this way, turning it that way, just to shake up the brain a little bit as to what I'm seeing. You know, and when I teach, I teach, what are you seeing? How are you looking? How, how does that look to you? And then when you paint, turn the painting upside down. Does that change how you perceive things? And so sometimes I have to work upside down or whatever. And so I am stepping back a lot, but I just go. I just, that's when I'm happiest is when I'm painting. So I walk in the, you know, in, in terms of in, in creating processes when I'm painting. It's not the figuring things out. It's not the other stuff. It's just the act of, of painting um, or drawing or whatever. It's not the what am I going to do next? Or what does this mean? It, it just kind of yeah. all flows. Um, do you ever have to step completely away? So you talk about stepping back. Do you often have to step completely away where it's not not in front of you to, to really figure out what's going on? You know, that is a great question. And a lot of artists would say yes. And I have had, I call it putting my painting in timeout. Sometimes my paintings need a timeout. <laughs> and we need time away from each other. Uh, this summer I did, it started in April. I didn't finish it until July. And I worked on it a lot. It was this the biggest painting I have ever done and the most time I've ever spent on a painting. I actually don't really like it right now because I'm so sick of it because we spent so <laughs> much time together. And so it kind of is in another room, but I do visit periodically and say, okay, maybe now I need to change a few things up. So a lot of times when I think I'm done with a painting, I will put it somewhere else in the house. And so that I pop by and I see it. Oh, okay. Oh. And so something might jar at me, you know, oh, I need to fix this or whatever. A lot of painters, a lot of artists, I shouldn't say just painters, a lot of artists work on multiple things at once. When I did encaustics, I usually did two things at once. And so if you start to get sick of one or something's not working, you just go on the other one and you put the other one aside or you turn it around in your studio for a while. I'm pretty much right now because of the size I'm doing and things like that, I'm generally just working on one painting at a time. But yes, I have put paintings away for months if, if need be to get past a block or to get something that's not right. Or I've scraped them down and started over. That's always scary. And you're talking about the, so you're talking about the size of this one work. Mm -hmm. So again, it's hard on the podcast to, <laughs> to see the work, but you Sorry, can everybody. see that in the show notes. <laughs> but one thing that's hard, even if you're looking at it in the show notes or on your Instagram here, what's the, when you say large, how large is that? For me, large, and this is not large for everybody. I think this one was 55 inches by 47 inches. I do believe that's the size. It might be a little bigger than that, um, which is not super large. Uh, many artists work much, much larger than that. But for, for me and my style, that was the largest I've ever done. 
So um, what's like a t- what's the typical size that you're you're usually working with? I'm I'm a much more comfortable, maybe two foot by two and a half foot. Um, I'm working on a larger one again. Uh, so something has happened to me lately, and I'm starting to work larger and more time consuming. Do you think it's because it's almost like a, a new challenge that you're exploring? Or yeah. oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a show this fall. And so I'm kind of prepping for that. And I know, once again, I know in my mind's eye what I want to achieve with it. And so it's just, and I think larger works tend to be more impactful. And so, and, you know, as we're speaking, this is why people need to go out and and spend time with arts, whether it's uh, theater or music or into a museum and to, to see, you know, because looking at it online is one thing, but to looking at it in person, seeing the, the process and what has gone on, is so much more important. So there's my little plug for going out and supporting the arts. Yes. Which, and again, for those who are close to Grand Rapids, yes, we will have a link to where you can see Elaine's art in person as well. Yeah. But no, but just in general, I just went last week to Chicago and spent some time looking at art and it always blows me away. You know, to see it on online is one thing and to see it in person is just, just different. You can step up and look at it and see the brushwork and see the the skill level that had to, you know, I spend the, when I teach introduction to painting, I spend the first week, you know, we go over the, the concept of, I could do that. You know, you look at abstract painting, well, I could do that. And, and it's like, could you? And why didn't you then? And what was that artist trying to say? And so we, we, we do some of that too. And I think going and seeing work in person helps eliminate that going, well, I could do that. And, and, you know, helps you go, well, Maybe I could have done that, but I couldn't have done it like that. And this is so much more powerful when you see it like this in person. So you are you teach art as well. I do. And I think this is kind of the the last thing that I want to end on here. What made you want to start not just creating art, but teaching other people how to create art? Um, um partially honest is paycheck. Um, to be, you know, <laughs> we were putting kids through school and uh, things like that. And so I, to have a steadier income um, from me was, was a, a real bonus. But then, you know, I, I started being an adjunct instructor at a, a university level and it just, I really enjoy it. Like I enjoy it so much more than I ever thought I would. It, it's, it's the, to be around that fresh, invigorated, um, just highly creative. Uh, I, I love being around creative people and what they come up with. And sometimes it makes me want to wring their necks. And sometimes it makes me want to uh, ho- hoist them up on my shoulders and just say, look what this person has done. And that's my favorite thing is look what you did. You know, teaching intro to painting, look what you just did. You didn't think you could do this, but look what you just did. And, and to get, gain them a deeper understanding of art, even if they never take another art class again, even if they go into business or whatever, um, to gain that understanding and to understand contemporary art. Contemporary art is a hard thing to understand. It is not always easy to understand why, um, you know, Jackson Pollock splattered artwork, a paint across his uh, canvas to to even more contemporary work now. You know, why, you know, and so we delve delve into these questions too, is why this artwork, why this time? You know, and so to have these people, have these young people, not always young, uh, fresh out of fresh and out of high school, to learn more about themselves, to figure out this creative side of themselves is really exciting. Uh, I don't know if I'll, you know, I'm not tired of it yet. I've been doing this for five years now, and 
class starts in the end of August here. I know where this will be tape delayed, but I'm excited um, to be back at it and to, to see what this year's group will bring. And like I said, there's days I just want to lock the studio and lock them out. And there's days that I want to lock them in there and create with them all day long. It's, it's, I love that part of it. I love their fresh takes on everything. And to see someone get it, um, you know, that's why anybody teaches. So you mentioned, you know, students that you have that might not be pursuing art in general, but they're, you know, taking it, whether it be a requirement or it's one of several options to fulfill a requirement for people who, who maybe aren't, you know, ready for college yet or have already been to college and want to dabble in painting or a similar art form. Like, what would you recommend someone get? Like, is it just like, oh, buy a paint kit and start painting or is it? Absolutely. 100%. That's exactly what it is. Um, and you can start with a, a pencil and a piece of typing paper, uh, you know, a piece of computer paper and just, just, just start drawing. Um, grab, go to, um, you know, one of those box stores if you want to and pick up a small painting kit and some brushes, you know, go on YouTube, go on, you know, and just throw some paint around. It's, it's really basic to start, you know, it's then when you want to learn maybe some more of the, you know, more specific things that you might need a class or something like that. But anybody out there, I would encourage just in a lot of times palettes, your palette can be your paper plate. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a fancy artist palette. I don't use a fancy artist palette. I use a piece of glass. And then I use paper plates sometime if I'm on the move and I have painting not right in front of my easel. I use paper plates um, and just some paint and some some brushes. I had a, a student this last semester who was a nursing major and she was almost done and she had time in her schedule to take drawing. I was teaching drawing this semester and she did a fantastic job. At the end, I looked at her and I said, if you decide not to be a nurse, I think you should pursue art. And uh, and she goes, I really love nursing. And I said, but you have an outlet now that you can pick up a pencil, pick up a sketchbook, um, and just draw on those really bad nursing days. You can come home and have that outlet. And she said, exactly. And and you know, her eyes kind of filled with tears because also that was during the you know you know last spring and yeah. the pandemic. And her knowing she's walking into a field where she might be working with dying people wherever she ends up, whether it's a cancer ward or a, a COVID ward. And the fact that she has this outlet now, she can pick it. She's, she was real good. And um, people find this in themselves. And she's like, I always just wanted to take one drawing class. And I'm like, I'm so glad you did. And so anybody, anybody, whatever you're in, to pick up that pencil, to pick up that paintbrush, to pick up the camera, your phone, take some pictures just for the heck of it, you know, paint for the hell of it. What does it look like when I smash three colors together and smack them across the canvas? It doesn't have to look like anything. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's what people are afraid of. Is it, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. I don't want to show my sketchbooks to everybody. A lot of them are crap, but some of them are good. And so don't be afraid. It, it, you don't have to ever show anybody in ever, but it, to have that outlet is a good thing. Yeah, I think that's really right. I think that that translates across multiple disciplines too, where it's really taking away that fear of getting started, taking away that fear of, of oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, well, no one does when they first start out. So it's, and again, it doesn't mean that you have to be aspiring to be some great painter, but there's a lot more than you can get out of it than 
than simply being a great painter. Um, the last thing I kind of want to ask in the similar vein is you mentioned a little bit ago, like it was exciting when you see a student like get it, mm -hmm. you use the, the phrase, get it. Can you ex expand on that a little more? Like what you, what are you looking for when they get it? I think get it just means when they realize that they can create, because sometimes people, like I said, they're afraid and they're, they want to be perfect. And when they let that go and, you know, realize that it doesn't have to be perfect, but it can still be special and, and that they get that or they get how to look at a painting. You know, some of them it becomes art appreciation and they, they only like things that are, you know, very realistic that look very much like what they expect art to look at. But then when they look at abstraction and all of a sudden they get it, they get that there's something more to this. So that. So kind of both of those things, either they, they understand their own creative powers or they understand what's going on in the greater art world too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find links to Elaine's website and Instagram in the show notes, as well as information about LaFonse Gallery, where her artwork is on display. That's L-A-F-O-N-T-S-E-E -E, Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And follow Cause of Craft on Instagram for the latest news and updates, including visual companions for every episode. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews will help more people discover the show. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's J-O-N at causeofcraft.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.